Welcome to another episode of the Indiana Bible College podcast, where we are biblically training tomorrow's leaders today. In this episode, Pastor Mooney preaches to us on this subject, I Have a Dream. This will be the last chapel service of the spring semester 2016. We do have a few more episodes to post. Don't worry, this won't be the last episode over summer break. Now, on to the episode. Thanks for tuning in. And let's pray. Lord, anoint the word, touch us, and help us to receive something. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was one of the most dramatic moments in the history of the United States of America. It came at a specific and important time in the revolution that took place in the 60s, breaking so many barriers and overcoming so much oppression and suppression. And it reached a climax on a given day in Washington, D.C. And a young Baptist preacher, Martin Luther King, stepped to the microphone and faced a crowd of hundreds hundreds of thousands of people and millions around the world. And he entitled his uh, sermon, I have a dream. Perhaps outside of maybe some of the foundational speeches and uh, certainly the Gettysburg Address, uh, probably Eisenhower's speech was, which is not yet historically recognized. It will perhaps be someday more, more sought after as a marking point. But probably the Lincoln Address, the Gettysburg Address, and the I Have a Dream speech are the two most powerful oratories that have ever been given in America. I have a dream, he said. Now, there is a distinct difference between having a dream and having a plan. And that's what I want to emphasize. I don't think the speech would have moved the world, not just the nation, but the world. If Dr. King had said, I have a plan how we can deal with this and that, how we can deal with prejudice, how we can deal with suppression, how can we deal with the conscious minds and souls and hearts and mental, uh, mental abuse that has taken place over the decades and through the decades of slavery and horrible violence. It wasn't to say that no one had a plan. People did have plans and had ideas. But here was the young man who, and he was not an old man, don't forget. He was shot down at a very young age. People try to imagine how much more effective he would have been as a political leader and as a religious leader in many ways. Of course, he was a Baptist preacher. You, uh, you young preachers should remember this, that in his, after he finished his education, he was in his doctorate. Uh, I want to say that I think I've got this right. He took 13 advanced courses on oratory, oratory and speech in his way to his doctorate. He may have known that 
preaching is a very vital thing. Being able to speak and to communicate is not only a vital thing, it is the most vital thing. And perhaps it was that sensitivity toward the importance of oratory that put him in that position where he could say what needed to be said in a way that reflected his wisdom and his understanding. It wasn't a policy, Brother Brown. It wasn't a strategy. It was a dream. And to some people at the time, which looking back, it's hard for you young people maybe to really understand this, but looking back, a dream is a dream is a dream. And how are you going to get anything done with dreams? Well, the fact is, you can do more with a dream than you can with a plan. Because most of us that make plans, even those of you who have a tendency like all of us do, like I did, like probably most ministers and preachers and pastors have done, we make a plan, we stretch out an idea, we figure out some kind of way we can do this or that, and we leave out this other part, this little inspirational thing that's inside of us, this dream that is inside of us. And we think, well, that's just, you know, me kind of fantasizing. And maybe even to your generation, when you get up to preach, you do not imagine that, that you could be effective, maybe, if you laid aside, Brother Sleeve, if they just laid aside all the kind of, uh, say, technical aspects. Now, don't misunderstand the next statement, but if you set aside maybe just your defense of, of doctrine in some technical sense or theological sense, you just set all of that aside because... There is another thing that has to be delivered. There's another concept that has to be gotten across. And you can call it a dream. You can call it a vision. The Bible refers to this as being so important that without such a vision, the people perish. It's not the technical things. Quite honestly, I have said this several times in the last few months in preaching across the country. I really don't believe there's a big fight over doctrine, even among Christians, actually. We have large churches now in which pastors are actually asking the question, how would you like to be baptized? And if you say, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name, they'll baptize you in Jesus' name. Baptist churches, charismatic churches, there's no real argument about it. And in fact, you can join churches now, any kind of Christian church almost, maybe the only exception would be, uh, a couple exceptions might be the Catholic Church or Jehovah Witness or Mormons or something like that. You know, they might say, well, you have to believe a specific aspect of doctrine. But most churches are just rather unconcerned about it. They don't think it's really important, that it really matters. So do whatever you want to do. There's no real specific thing you have to believe to be a Christian in many circles today. So that's not the real issue. The real issue, really, if you reach somebody before somebody else reaches them, you could probably tell them, well, here's what the Bible says. You need to repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and they'll say, okay. The young man that was baptized, that was in his uh, sleeveless uh, t-shirt, on, by the way, I almost kicked him out of church. I, I was real close. He was coming in, and I, I, thought, I thought, well, like, I, you know, I, I need to tell him to get his sh shirt on. And I walked up to him, and uh, something seemed to strike me. Just, just leave him alone. Let him come in the way he is. I thought, okay. So I hit him on the shoulder and I, I, I said, I'm glad you're here. And thank you for coming. And something like that. And welcomed him. I, I never could have imagined at that point that uh, 
about 90 minutes later, we were going to be baptizing him in Jesus' name. And maybe someday he'll be here. And maybe someday you'll have him preaching a revival in your church. And maybe he'll tell the story about how he felt when I was walking up to him and he could probably see my attitude. But the Lord changed me in about three steps. Wow. Think about, think about how little things in life become such big things. But back to the point. What you need to understand is that more than the argumentations and the, uh, the, the things that we want to nail down and this and that and something else, perhaps the most important thing that you could ever do is to equip people with a dream to help them to understand that in God there is deliverance and there is hope. There's a vision without which people would perish and that suddenly... Something would happen inside of all of us. Maybe in me and you and all of us, we need to have a deeper sense of how important it is to convey, to teach, to preach, to talk about that thing, that other thing, that other part of this, this Christianity. And that is the depth, by, the depth by which the Holy Spirit touches us. It touches us in a deep part. And it gives us a sense of our destiny and a sense of our, our ability through God. A sense of what we can accomplish if we will depend upon That's called a dream. It doesn't have to make sense. It's a dream. So here is the word of God in Genesis, Exodus chapter number uh, 3 and verse number 20. I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt. This is God, of course, speaking to the children of Israel through the prophet Moses. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Now that is amazing. Favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. Now there's a dream. These poverty-stricken people, these slaves, these people without hope that had been beaten, they had no place to deliver their children. They, mothers delivered their babies standing up. I wish somebody knew I'm in the Bible. That's in your Bible. They had no hospitals, no places to go. They suffered the consequences and the pain of slavery. It doesn't even have to. We don't have to go into that. But here comes God through the prophet saying, I want you to tell these people who have nothing. That when they leave, if they will obey, if they will walk with you, if they will surrender themselves to you, if they will go without fear, without doubt, and just walk by faith, they will not go empty. And Moses may have said, I don't know, in his brain he may have said, oh yeah, how are we going to do that? And here comes the solution. It's one of the most inspiring verses for me in my life and in my ministry. I've repeated this to myself a million times. That's an exaggeration perhaps, but just unlimited. I couldn't count the number of times when I've said in my soul, you promised that I didn't have to go empty. Make a way where there is no way. Provide the money where there is no money. Give me what everybody else says that could never happen. Go ahead, God, and talk to me about things that are impossible. Because it's not about my might or my, my ability, but by your power. 
saith the Lord. So I have a message for you today. Quit worrying so much. And don't take this out of context now. Because a workman that's in the kingdom of God should study to show himself approved. He should not be able or should not think about the possibility or even the likelihood that you can succeed going out without being, shall we say, prepared academically and prepared intellectually. That's not what I'm talking about. You do understand the difference. But there's so much about your calling that you cannot figure out. You can prepare yourself. You can study. You can become a Bible scholar. That's all good stuff. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to depend on something else, something you do not understand. You're going to have to, in fact, your intellect by itself, apart from some kind of dream, is rather worthless. It's, 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 it's the imagination. It's the imagination. I, I happen to enjoy the, uh, uh, the architecture of um, Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, just this, uh, we were in Pennsylvania uh, a couple years ago. I had a couple students with me. And uh, we went up to the tremendous house built in the woods of Pennsylvania. And it's called the uh, uh, Falling River, Falling Rock or something like that. And wow, what a house. Uh, the waterfall goes right through the living room. I mean, you have to like that house. And he was so, he was so particular and you, you can see there's one Frank Lloyd Wright house here, and, uh, but he didn't build it. But there, there's one house in Indiana that he actually uh, was the uh, builder. He stayed there and made sure it was done right. And that's in Crawfordsville, your hometown. It's a Frank Lloyd Wright house. You can visit it there. What is wrong with you? You don't visit that. Way. I got to come help you out. Um, Frank Lloyd Wright. You can stay in a Frank Lloyd Wright hotel in southern Indiana or southern Illinois, northern Illinois. Amazing architect. How did he do it? He kept telling people this. In his biography I read not too long ago, he, he said, I have to communicate the dream. I have to get across to people what I see, what I feel. Now, I think that is the challenge of your generation. I think that is where you are going to either survive or die. You've got to get across to people somehow that there is a God that can make a way. Here's the way God said Moses. He said, here's what we're going to do. This is what you do. I'm going to give people favor with the Egyptians. And I want every woman, verse number 22, I want every woman to borrow from her neighbor. One of my most favorite places in scripture. And of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels. Silk, jewels, gold, raiment, that ye put them on your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptian. Here's the way we're going to do this, gang. You are going to knock on your neighbor's door, and you're going, don't go there to get butter, sugar, and flour. Don't go and say, I'm taking a trip. Could you give me a little something? You know, No, no. You're going to borrow... I don't know when God was planning on them paying this back. I have a dream. <laughs> Think of Moses. I have a dream. What is it, Moses? Just go next door to your Egyptian neighbors and borrow. Borrow their jewels. Borrow their gold. People are going, 
Does he not know we have been slaves for nigh on a thousand years? That's an exaggeration. Does he not know that these people have been whooping up on us every day? Beating us, torturing our women, raping our, our daughters. But I have a dream. Moses is crazy. He has lost. He stayed on that mountain one day too long. What is wrong with that guy? I want every woman to go next, well, it wouldn't be next door, but to go to the Egyptians, knock on the door, and borrow jewels and gold. And by the way, get some nice clothes for your kids. That's in your Bible. And when you leave, I don't want you to leave like beggars. I don't want you to leave here as if you had nothing. I don't want you to leave here just kind of trying to scallywag out of here. All wrapped up in your rags. Poor. You're going to leave here rich. You're going to leave here with jewels and gold and silver. Am I in the Bible? I'm, I want to verify this. Is that really in there? And then your kids are going to be dressed to the nines. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Put fine raiment on them. Don't ask for some old jeans, worn out clothes. You get them some good clothes. So now, just maybe if you've never noticed that in the Bible, you need to have a whole different picture about how these folks looked as they were leaving. It may have been kind of like this. I got a Rolex. What would you get? What would you get? You got an Apple phone? You got an Apple phone? You got, you got the GDF711? What did you get? You got the big one? Who'd you get it from? That big old fat Egyptian? He didn't even know what hit him, man. I just walked up to him and said, hey, I need your watch. He gave me his watch. That's what happened. What a mighty God we serve. Now, that's not a technical. When, when, you, when you get up to preach a sermon like that, when you get up to tell people how God is going to work in their lives, that is not some theological technical thing. That's not something probably you're going to learn at Bible college or if you go on and get this degree or that degree and you become a PhD or whatever. You're never going to be able to function apart from the anointing of God within the context of a dream that doesn't make sense, an idea that doesn't make sense, a, a concept that really doesn't work out in the laboratory. You can't, you can't make this work. You can't say how this is going to work. And no doubt there had to be some kickback on this. I just think there had to be some kickback on this. And Moses said, in chapter 4 now, look there. You know, God, they're not going to believe me. That's in the Bible. Nor hearken to my voice. For they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is in thine hand? And he said, a rod. Throw it down. He cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent, a snake. And Moses fled from it. And God said, take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it. And it became a rod. And God said in so many words, they'll believe you. <laughs> they'll believe you. Now, what is the dynamic at play here? 
the supernatural anointing of God. Not just to cast a dream, but to speak a dream with the authority of God's anointing upon your life. In this case, the anointing was displayed by the fact that Moses, throwing down his rod, it turned to a snake, he picked it up, and it turned back to a rod. It's beyond conception. As a matter of fact, this is, a lot of, this is where a lot of people throw their Bible away. Because this is the supernatural, the inexplicable. You can't make sense out of this. So what God is going to be doing in your lives, those of you of this generation, He's going to be asking you to do more than just to preach Acts 2.38. Don't misunderstand me. Don't misquote me here. But there's more to it than that. God is going to call upon students in this room and students all around this world, some most of whom you will never know, to preach to this dark and troubled world a dream, a hope, a message of deliverance. Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. And if you come and if you drink, you shall never thirst again. There is a power and an anointing. There is an infilling an impartation that is so strong and so dynamic that once you have tasted of this heavenly gift, you're going to know that you know you're going to be liberated from sin and unrighteousness. You'll never be the same again. You'll be free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. You'll be free at last. That's what the Holy Ghost does. And the Holy Ghost can work in your generation. But you've got to take them more than an argument. You've got to bring to them a powerful anointed dream that says, I know you're hooked on this and you're hooked on that and you're messed up and maybe your direction seems empty and you don't know where you're going to go and your parents are abusive and you lived in darkness and fear and unbelief. But I know a Redeemer. I know a name that is above every name. I have a little word for you. I've got a dream for you. I've got some hope. And you can make it. Go ahead and clap your hands to the Lord. Will you do that? Just clap your hands to the Lord. Now your values have got to be different in the middle of a revolution. And you are in a revolution. We're not living in a, shall we say, stable times. We're living in a revolution as I often say, and you probably get tired of me hearing, hearing me say it, but we're in a spiritual revolution. We're in an economic revolution. We're in a political revolution. And certainly we're in a scientific revolution, a technological revolution, a communication revolution. I'm talking about major kinds of revolutions are unfolding before your very eyes. Today we're going to be watching some elements of perhaps a very different kind of revolution in American politics. And it's not about personalities and it's not about parties. It's about something much, much deeper than that. I would suspect that just a little bit of conversations that I've had with modern politicians, I'm talking about really players in the game, they have no idea where America's headed and what we're doing. Most of them are, are probably fairly decently honest, but they just don't really know how to deal with the problems that they're facing. These matters of drug addiction, these matters of sexuality and carnality that grip the minds and hearts of young people are not easy to live with. The ideas of, of uh, 
the homosexual agenda and how that it's affecting our little children and then just the kind of developing crassness. Um, you can't believe, it's hard for me to believe that the two major schools, the school, two major problems in public schools are bullying and porno. Time Magazine writes a fabulous, uh, it's fabulous in the sense of its uh, ability to educate us just two weeks ago the addition of, of pornography and the impact that it's having, not on adults, forget adults, we're talking about children. The number one problem in every church in America today is pornography, including Pentecostals. And the problem is bigger in your group than any of us want to think about. And you know it. And I know it. So how do we break these chains? How do we break? I want to tell you, you're not going to do it just by singing about it. It's going to take prayer and fasting. It's going to take a commitment. And it's going to take an understanding. An understanding inside your heart. And not only an understanding, not an understanding of how God is going to move. Now let's analyze this a little bit. Moses had no understanding of how this could possibly work. People going next door to the Egyptians and borrowing gold and silver and all that. So that they actually left. I like to say, I preach this sermon uh, different ways many times. I always like to use this little example. Can you imagine Pharaoh? And can you imagine why he actually chased them when he found out? That they had all the Rolex watches and the gold and the silver. They didn't want them to come back. They just wanted their gold back. This had to be a shocking moment for the whole of culture. This is an unbelievable kind of place in scripture. Where we're being taught by the Holy Spirit of how God actually moves. And you've got to have a deep understanding of your own faith and your own commitment. That's why I'm going to close my remarks here with just a couple questions for you. Whether or not you could do what. Moses did, whether you could function like Moses did, whether you could have the courage, the faith, the understanding to go and say, here's the plan. And somebody's going to say, that's a pipe dream. But there had to be some little women. You notice this was first addressed to women. I'm not going to touch that. It's just, I'm just pointing it out. Tell the women to go. Maybe the women had more faith, more courage. Maybe men wouldn't go in their stubbornness. <laughs> men would have taken their guns and their, if they had them, their swords and their weapons. But just to go over and borrow gold, I don't, I don't see how this is going to work. Wow. Are you following me a little bit? Yes, sir. Yeah. And you've got to get this together. You've got to get this figured out. This, this matter of Communicating a dream to your generation. Hope to your generation. You've got to show them a way. You've got to show them life. They don't need to see you singing gospel songs, acting like a rock star, and dressing like a rock star, and mimicking the, the, the guitar moves and the piano moves and they don't need you to try to figure out how to preach like some popular uh, television prophet or something you, know. you don't have to emulate you don't there's a plan for spirit filled people that's why God filled you with the Holy Ghost so you could 
you could have a dream, so you could buy into the dream, so you could think about it, so you could actually consider it. You could, you could say, okay, God, I, I'm going to need, give me a little time here, but I'm prepared to move like you are saying that we should move. That's the question, the big question, the giant question, I think, that really you face. I don't know how to pull you out of it. I had a little boy that came up to me once when I was in Muskegon. I rethought this story recently when I was up. I had to go up to Muskegon for a court case, an old court case, and to try to testify in behalf of the right righteousness. And I, I, I thought about a lot of things when I revisited a city in which I had pastored for 23 years. Just things come back to your mind. And I remembered a little boy. I was down in the, I was down in the basement and I was uh, uh, putting the Diet Coke and the Coca-Cola and the Pepsi-Cola and everything into the pop machine, loading it all up. And uh, there was a little boy. His name was David and he came walking up to me. And he saw me down there. I did this about every Sunday morning. We had a little cafe-like place down there in the basement of the church and I was filling up the pop machine. He said, Brother Mooney, and he's a little boy voice, he said, when I grow up, I want to be a preacher just like you. And I was so proud. I, I looked at him. I said, David, you really want to be a preacher just like me? He said, yes. I, I, I want to have the key to the pop machine just like you. <laughs> I never forgot that. He wanted the key. He didn't want a ministry. He wanted the key to the pop machine. Do you understand what I'm saying here? There's some of you here that that's really kind of what you want. Just the key to the pop machine. You, you don't really want to communicate the dreams and to move in the spirit and pay the price of what it takes to be really in touch with God. To open up your hearts and your minds. To give away your talent. As long as you're performing to please the world and to please even people in the church. You're not really surrendered yet your talent to God. Be careful about trying to work out your own plans. Because you'll underplan your life and you'll, you'll fail to understand what the culture really needs. You think you know what your generation really needs. They don't need you. They need God to work through you. Now, they needed a leader. They needed a leader. But the leader had no idea what to do. He would never have thought of this borrowing thing. Just like Joshua never would have thought of marching around Jericho and expecting the walls to fall down. As a matter of fact, even if he had had that thought, he probably would not have had the courage to deliver it because no one would have accepted it just as a military strategy of some kind that he had thought up all by himself. But when he said, thus saith the Lord, that changes things. Now be careful about using that phrase, thus saith the Lord, because if the Lord didn't say it, you better not say it. In the Old Testament, if you prophesied and your prophecies didn't come true, they killed you. If that were the case today, we'd have a lot of dead prophets. And how is it that people always want to speak into your life? Be careful about who you search out to speak into your life. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Don't travel all over the country hoping somebody will touch you on a given night and say to you, I know the will of God is unfolding in your life. I could say that to everybody and it would be true. And there's no direction, there's no life in it. Let me tell you something more important. Get on your knees. 
and discover God's dream for you and believe it. Believe it. In my life, forgive me for the personal reference and I know better, but just allow me a little room. I won't stay on this very long. But everything I ever felt in the spirit seemed contrary to what I wanted to do with my own life. And I think, well, maybe if I had done this or maybe if I had done that, I might have accomplished more, might have done more. I don't know. Life is a kind of funny thing. I don't know that anybody can, and I'm looking over to the gray hairs, I don't know if anybody could really live your life and be totally satisfied with it completely because you rethink things and you analyze it and you say sometimes, well, if I had done this or if I had done that. So sometimes there's moments that come in your life and you just have to follow whatever you feel at that time. Because only God knows the paths and the ways. There's a way that seemeth right unto a, a man, but the end thereof. It's kind of like setting Indiana University with a scholarship in journalism. And the, the, uh, uh, the first day in one class, I hadn't even fully checked into the dormitories yet. I just had a couple boxes over in this little room where I was going to be staying. And the professor said this to all of us freshmen. He said, before you leave this class, you will believe in Santa Claus quicker than you would believe in Jesus Christ. I'll see to it that I change. You're going to have a change in your mind, something like that. I can't remember the exact details. The only thing I remember is he compared Santa Claus with Jesus Christ. And he said that the students would, it would be easier for students to believe in Santa Claus than it would be Jesus Christ. And I stood to my feet and he said, who are you? What is your name? What do you, what did you stand up for? I said, I'm, I, 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 I didn't even answer the question. I just kind of mumbled like that. He said, what is your name? I said, my name's Paul Mooney. He said, where are you going? He said, I said, I'm leaving. I just got my books and left. Because something, this little thing, this little seed of a dream inside of me said, hmm, this is not going to work. Now, don't take this as an anti-education thing. This, this wouldn't happen to everybody. You went to IU, it didn't happen to you. He was there for a, at a completely different time. You're a completely different person. I was in journalism, which is really a, a modified form of show business, if you really want to know the truth. And I already was covering events for little small paper newspapers in Knightstown in Greenfield and was on the radio. But something spoke to me that day. Rise to your feet and leave. That was so powerful. You may not believe this. I didn't even go back to my dorm. I had a couple boxes in there. To this day, I don't know exactly what was in those boxes. I remember a pair of tennis shoes beyond that. I don't know what else was in there. I got, found my, somebody to give me a ride, and I left the campus. What was that? An explanation? No. It was just a dream. It was something God spoke to me. It changed my life, of course. It changed my direction. I look back even at this moment and I'm not real sure what happened to me. Sometimes I don't even know in terms of human rationale if it made sense at all. My mother was stunned. My brothers cursed me. So there you are. 
dream. Maybe if I just do what God would have me to do and follow what God is speaking to me, even though others don't understand it. Maybe if I just go next door and borrow some ridiculous kind of idea. I think you've got the point. Let me ask you three questions. Three questions about your moment in time. I want these questions to be the kinds of questions that will lift you up. I want to try to give you three simple things that are essential for you in your life, in my view, to fulfill your mission. Number one, are you prepared to do the right thing? The right thing in terms of holiness and righteousness. The right thing in terms of a commitment to doctrine. To preach what the apostles preached. Are you prepared to do that? Will you do that? Because that is the key. And your role in this life may be very small in your own evaluation. In your own understanding of what God would have you to do. That's why the scripture says, don't compare yourself among yourselves. That's not wise. You start thinking, well, this guy's smarter than I am, and he's better than I am. He's more talented. He preaches better. I can promise you there will be lots of people who will out-preach you from an oratorical point of view. And sometimes you'll hear some preachers preach and say, I'm never going back to the pulpit. I'm never going to do this again. I just don't have the skill. I don't have the ability. Shut your mouth. Obey God. Do not start trying to emulate other people. It's a very dangerous thing. You've got to pull your way, yourself away from that kind of spirit and push yourself into the anointing that God has for you. There's quite frankly, there's some of you that don't have the personality to do what other people do. There's some of you that do not have the talent to do what other people do. There's some of you that do not have the call that other people have. You do not have the destiny that other people have. You do not need to be in the same place they be because the, they are because the place that God has for you is different. So don't try to model or fashion your life after other people's lives. Just wait on God. So just go. If Maybe at a certain point, if you make decisions and you're sitting in a classroom and you realize in some way you don't understand it, but you realize in some way that that's a wrong choice, we made a couple wrong choices in our ministry, Sister Mooney, but at least we had enough sense to leave, to get out. Do you, real, you don't know this about my biography, but I pastored a church one day. What was the name of that little town in Virginia? Gate City, Virginia. You leave Tennessee, you go in Virginia, and there's a little town called Gate City. Man, we had it going together. We borrowed chairs from the funeral home, wanted to borrow chairs from the funeral home. And the guy took me in a back room, said, don't borrow them, just take them. And we had a little storefront. We tried to pay the rent on that. And the guy said, just no rent, just get it started. Get your church started. We need another church here. I mean, we were moving. And people came from everywhere to help us get started. I think our first, I don't want to exaggerate numbers, but it was close to 100 people in our first service, that's about all. The little storefront was about the size of these two areas here. So we, it was a jammed place, maybe a little less than 100 people jammed in there. We had folding chairs that we got free from the, from the funeral home. And pastors were there to help us. And I said to my uh, mentor, I said, I got a funny feeling about this. He said, what is it? I said, I don't know. This is not the will of God for me. He said, what? 
He said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I think I'm going to resign. I know it sounds like I'm unstable in all my ways. But I resigned that day. That was, I pastored one day. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I gave the chairs back to the funeral home. And he said, what? I don't need them. Give them to somebody else. And so I gave them to somebody. I don't even remember who. Some church needed them. The will of God, you struggle for it sometimes. You say, well, did you make a mistake? No, I didn't make a mistake. I had to correct myself. What if I had just not had the courage to correct myself? And just, what if I was still there suffering with, with being outside of the will of God? Because when you have a dream, you don't exactly know how the dream is going to work out. Moses said, I don't think this will work. Am I in the Bible? Did he not say, I can't do this because I don't think they will believe me. In a nutshell, they're not going to believe me. That they can go over there, these people that have suppressed them, all those, how many years? 400 years? 400 years. I mean, the whole mentality of slavery, master mentality, and psychology was all mixed up inside their brains. So he said, this is not going to work, but it did work, of course. And God's will will work in your life. And not only must you buy in, or I don't like the word buy in, but not only must you give yourself to the dream, you must also have the kind of anointing upon your life that will build the dream in others. So will you do the right thing? Because if you're preaching false doctrine, you can create no dream. If you're not hooked up, this is what God was trying to show Moses when he threw down the rod and the rod turned into a snake. He was trying to say to Moses, you're hooked up with the right person here. I'm the guy that can really help you. But if you just get your friends or your mama to design your ministry, you're hooked up with the wrong person. you got to get hooked up to God. And don't ever walk away from God and God's will. And that will, not, that will not always be easy. Sometimes it is a mammoth struggle to walk in the will of God. And sometimes it's embarrassing to have to walk in the will of God. Because your flesh gets between you and the will of God and your own desires. Or God forbid ambition gets in the way. And you have to fight through it and overcome it and submit yourself and sometimes embarrass yourself. So will you do the right thing in terms of doctrine? Second question. Will you do whatever God calls you to do to the best of your ability at full strength 24 hours a day? And when you preach, preach for real. I can take you to several churches. What I'm really saying, will you work hard? I can take you to several churches that as soon as a certain person got the church, they started canceling service, making church easier for everybody, doing a Sunday morning and no Sunday night. Now, I don't believe that's a religion, please. I'm just saying they began to cut things. It wasn't the service times. It's the cutting of things. It's the diminishing of the church's influence within people's lives. And suddenly, instead of anointing and power and, and preaching and the church work and church things and, and, and the spirit and the moving of the spirit and the preaching and the dependency upon the spirit and all that. It became more like kind of a party church. And you know where those churches are today? They're gone. Because at the end of the day, my dear friends, what people want is the anointing and power of God in your life and they want to see it in your life first and then they want to see it in the life of their families and their children and they want to see it in their churches. 
And you cannot dumb down a church and build a church at the same time. You've got to build it up and build up the faith and build up the anointing and build up the power. So the question is, will you do the right thing? And the question is, will you do your best? Will you do your best to obey God? And will you give it your best shot? And will you, will you labor in the field? Don't just... Say, I want the title of a pastor. Labor in the field. And when there's no one to run the buses, drive them yourself. And when there's no one to help you with the trash, untrash the church yourself. And if there's no one to knock on doors, knock on doors yourself. And before you know it, people will be following you and helping you. People will say, I'm not going to let you do that by yourself. And if you don't have anybody with you, then become friends with people and train them and learn. And it isn't about... You know, training, by the way, I just wish we could get out of this training obsession that we've got right now. Because This is just me. You don't have to agree with me here. I'll allow some, some variation here. You don't have to. You won't offend me. But, you know, we just think somehow we can get our little downloaded classes on how we do this and how we do that and how we reach people. And we borrow it from all different kind of religious ideas. And not that all of that is good. But... There's another kind of training that you don't want to miss. Training people to love. Training people just to relax. Training people to walk with you in friendship. Jesus taught. He, he, he taught by just walking with them and being with them. He taught them to be like him. Not because he put them in a class. All right now, get your notebooks out. We've only got two hours. And then... Uh, you'll have to excuse me, but uh, I'm flying out. My cruise uh, uh, goes at uh, just here a little bit. Well, if I can't catch the boat, I can just walk on the water and catch up. But still, I want to be there on time if I can. And, and uh, so we go through the class and blah, blah. And you get your little start at the top of the page. Am I describing this pretty accurately? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so-called teach. You're not teaching. But when you say, come and walk with me. Let's go out, go with me, and we'll knock on some doors. We'll talk to some people or whatever. You understand the principle here. Will you do, will you do to the best of your ability? You don't cut the corners. You don't cut the corners. Number three. Will you show people that you really care about the church and about the truth? I want to borrow from Dr. Martin Luther King again. I'll never forget that day. He affected people. I have a dream, he said. He didn't know how to do it. It really was not a political speech at all. It was a speech about believing that something so very complex, something so filled with hatred and problems and situations could be overcome not through a strategy but through a dream so you have to show people that you care enough about them to cause them to believe that if they hook up with God and all of you are hooked up together you can build a great church and you can participate in the greatest revival that there's ever been. But we're going to have to get out of this mentality 
in which we think we have all the answers. And we went and took a Max, John Maxwell course, and we know how to train people for revival, which is the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. Because revival cannot, the kind of revival that we need in this generation may not yet ha be completely or fully revealed to you. Do you understand? Moses, we're leaving here. Okay, good. That's how we're going to do that. I sh assure you that Moses' concepts of deliverance were a different. How do I know that? Because when he first had the passion, Brother Turner, to deliver God's people from the Egyptians, he started killing them. He killed one. He slaughtered one. He only had a few million more to go with that strategy. But God says, I have a dream for you. I have a little project. Send the women over next door and let them borrow some wing. I don't know how you put this into holiness, but you know the way I see it in the scriptures, they's left with rings and jewels. And I have a feeling if the children were wearing the clothes, the women were wearing the jewels. I know you holiness people are saying, how does this fit in? I don't know. Work on it. Maybe it was just a moment where God, there is an answer. But maybe God just wanted to leave looking good. It's looking good. And wouldn't you like to just walk into this moment of time looking good and feeling good? Well, I'll tell you how you can get there. And don't, don't mess with this because... These are little simple things. And you may think, well, anybody could come up with those little questions. I understand that. But will you do the right thing? Question number one. Question number two. Will you make sure that you have enough ambition that you will work hard and give it your best? Not just do the right thing occasionally, but stay after it day and night. And thirdly, will you convince people that you care? And the only way that you can convince people that you care is to pastor them like a shepherd walks with his sheep to live with them, to come down on the dusty road and spend time with them. You cannot be this kind of imagined executive, this imagined super leader going in and out coming in at the last minute from the golf course and preaching your little sermon and then swinging away back into your little private world. That's not a pastor. That's an idiot. And you've got to come close to people and you've got to care. You've got to care. So just maybe to finish the analogy for the Martin Luther King story. Don't forget, long before he was standing there at the Lincoln Memorial. He had been out on the streets and in the churches, in prison, in prison, showing his desire to identify with the cause. He was a human being and he had his flaws. But what he delivered to his people was a dream. And that I hope makes sense to you today. Every apostolic Pentecostal preacher, when you and if you and whenever you're given responsibility, Sister Mooney, you've got to come close to people, do you not? And you've got to be able to say to them, we can do this. We can do this. Do you realize that the building you're setting in today on one Saturday, had 125 people in this building. The most horrible, darkest moment of this whole thing. 
setting aside the little money situation, which was a miracle, we took up an offering in one day of $800,000 cash in one day. That was a miracle. But the miracle of miracles was the dream. That was kind of a technical thing. We need so much money. That's a technical thing. You can get technical things, like money, for an example. You can get money from just some guy that wants to give for his own reason. He's not really bought into the dream, but he'll write you a check for $50,000. It just happens. I don't understand how it happens, really. But there's that 125 people that was here scraping mold off of this very room. Mold. Thick mold. It was alive. This building was covered with mold. That's why we bought it for just a few hundred thousand dollars. It was bad. Jim, are you here? It was bad. And it wasn't just kids. It was old people. And you know how we had to kill that mold? With raw, pure bleach. Do you have any idea? I was sick for days. I couldn't eat for days after being... And I wasn't the main... Mold scraper. I was here, but I wasn't the main one. There were people that did it for hours and hours. I don't even know how they survived. But I know why they did it, Brother Sleva. Something that no one could communicate to them about. That maybe there's something going on here. Let's try to see if we can save Indiana Bible College. And the rest is history. And how did it happen? A dream. Just that simple. A dream. Not a strategy, just a dream. And that's all you need is the calling of God. And when you feel, whatever you feel, hold on to it. And don't ever let go of it. And when you get in a situation where you see, this is a distraction for me. I don't have any business being on the radio. Like you had to walk out of, was you a principal already? A school? Was a teacher in a school? You had to walk away. Already. Already out teaching in a public school, he had to walk away. Why? Because somebody laid it all out for him. Say, well, you're going to go here. You're going to do this. You're going to do great things in Africa. No, it was just a dream. And then when you got to Africa, did you have anything to work with? No. But it's just that dream. Stand with me. I've overdone it. Now, I know I'm supposed to have you shouting. But today we're just borrowing Rolex watches from the Egyptians. Uh, That's the best. Don't get the cheap ones. The best ones. Now when you have a dream and you go home and you tell mama or daddy and I'm not speaking against parental authority but don't be shocked. Some people do not get it. They don't get what God has called you to do. So I'm going to ask you to come and stand up here and our musicians would come. I don't want us to just try to hit up some kind of shouting level. This is our I know we need to shout again. I'm not a, if the Holy Ghost falls, I don't care what you do. Swing off the chandeliers. But before we do anything else, I want us to say, God, speak to my heart. And help me never to waver. Never turn back. Never grow weary. Is that in the Bible? Be not weary in what? Well doing. So once this thing unfolds, once your dream becomes real to you and you know it's going to work out here's it makes you bold so let's play around with this all right the lady's supposed to go over and borrow right first time hard nobody thought this could work right let's imagine 
400 years of slavery, you're going to go over and do this. You're going to borrow. But it did work. So it worked once, and it's, well, let's try this again. Second house, third house, fourth house, on down the line. And they were getting richer and richer and richer and richer. Wow. What a mighty God. They had gone from slavery to being able to dress in the finest of Egyptians. You realize how rich they were at this time, according to historic theory, at least. Wow. And how rich you're going to become. How rich you're going to become. And every day, Sister Mooney, that we're here with this beautiful staff and working, we're just amazed. Just amazed. Jim, when you come over from St. Louis to help, you, you wasn't really sure how you felt about it. But you said something to me very important. Jim said, I don't want to just be mechanical. Didn't you say that to me? I don't want to just come over and work on furnaces. Now, you didn't say it this way, exactly in these words. But what Jim Sleva said to me when I said, Jim, come home and help us with this. He said, not this way, but he said, if I can be part of the dream, I'll come home. Part of the ministry, I'll come home. But I don't want to get tied up. Now, he's done a lot of technical stuff. But that's not why he's here. He's here to be an example to all of you of what God can do in your life if you dare to let him develop a dream in your heart. And if you start casting that faith and that dream to others, I cannot describe the difference it will make in your life. But if you're just a technician, we got plenty of them. Just a church technician. You know people got services all organized. You got it all written out. You know exactly where the songs are going to be and everything. But why don't we follow the scriptures? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk you know how Martin Luther King kept them out there on the streets marching I was so moved when they first started marching in Muskegon Sister Mooney I went out and marched with them because I felt the dream and I felt the need you understand 